0: Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David! My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. When I was in college, a friend of mine told me about a job opportunity that many people my age were doing at the time. And it was a little untraditional. See, I wasn't going to be making a product, building a product, servicing a product, delivering a product, working with a product really in any way myself. In fact, this was a job where I was to be the product. Uh, It was a pharmaceutical company uh, that did human medical tests to try out new drugs and to see how they would work their way through the body. I wouldn't recommend this, I wouldn't do it now, but at 21 or 22, it was an easy way to make a whole lot of money. What was interesting about this is that if someone did raise their hand to be a human lab rat, you would think that people would just hope the door is wide open, come on in, this is great, finally we found someone foolish enough to do this kind of a thing. But it was remarkable how many qualifications that I had to make in order to be eligible for these different studies. Uh, I remember coming and, and, and going through and filling out all the paperwork, and yes, looking at all the lists of possible side effects, all of them included death, and I signed my name and then took the medical exams where they would ask me different things. Certainly, they distinguish sometimes between smokers or, sm- or non-smokers, male or female, um, and, and you had to qualify in those cases, but then they ran a very thorough medical examination on you. And one time I remember that I failed an EKG test, it put everything up and tested my heart and I failed a test. Now, as a 21-year-old, I'm already foolish enough, but I'm thinking, this can't be good, right? And the doctor said, oh, no, don't worry, you're totally healthy, but there's a very narrow parameters for the eligibility of this study, and you fall just outside of it, you're healthy, but the eligibility requirements are quite tight, Another time, my brother, and yes, I got my brother involved in this racket, uh, my brother tells the time where he failed to collect the final bonus. There was a $1,000 bonus if you made your way all the way to the end. That's when you really made your money. And at one time, he went in to get a blood draw, and he had drunk a Mountain Dew right before this test, and so he tripped all kinds of uh, tests, that, that uh, uh, alarms that they were not supposed to do, and he got booted out of the study um, and couldn't finish it. So there was a very narrow list of qualifications in various ways, in various areas that you had to meet. The question that this passage is dealing with today is what are the eligibility requirements that Jesus has for us? The question of eligibility and qualifications surround us, even if you're not foolish enough to do what I did in my younger days... Anytime you fill out an application for a job, for school, for scholarships, even to join a rewards program at the local convenience store, there are always eligibility requirements. What about with Jesus? What are His eligibility requirements? And the bigger question is, how does He relate to the people who are not qualified to enter into His kingdom? Now, the passage we're looking at this morning is a very Very difficult passage. Many people point to this passage and accuse Jesus of some of the harshest things that people accuse Him of. They accuse Him of, first of all, just being hard in this passage. Other people go so far as to accuse Him of racism in this passage. But as we're studying through this passage, I hope you're going to see that this is an extraordinarily encouraging passage that holds forth the fact that unqualified guilty sinners, especially Gentiles, that Jesus has made a way for us into His kingdom. The big idea this morning is this, that the Son of David will reign over the nations. The Son of David will reign over the nations. As we study this passage this morning, three parts. First, the Canaanites and the Son of David. The Canaanites and the Son of David. Number two, children and divisions. Children and divisions. Three, crumbs for little dogs. Crumbs for little dogs. So first first of all, Canaanites and the Son of David in verses 21 through 24. We read in verse 21 that Jesus went away from there. Remember, he had been in northern Galilee. And in fact, if we've been paying attention to the geography that every once in a while Matthew clues us into... Jesus has been in Galilee all the way since Matthew chapter 4. This is called the Great Galilean Ministry. From Matthew chapter 4 all the way to here, mid-Matthew 15, Jesus has been in in the northern part of what we would call the land of Canaan in Galilee. And now Jesus is actually moving further north and, and kind of west toward the coast where Tyre and Sidon are located, into that region near the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus is now moving out of Galilee into gentile territory and in fact if we continue to pay attention to where jesus is jesus will remain in gentile territory all the way until matthew 21 when he will start to make his way all the way south to judea specifically to jerusalem which will lead toward his eventual crucifixion and death he's been in galilee now he's moving into gentile territory where he's going to stay until he goes to jerusalem now the big question is if we've been following the story up to now We see the ways in which the Jews in Galilee, Jesus' own people, have increasingly rejected him. And not only in Galilee, but we saw earlier in Matthew chapter 15 where the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem in the south sent Pharisees and scribes up to investigate Jesus up in the north. Well, Jesus is away from this, but if he leaves Jewish territory now, what is his reception going to be among the Gentiles? If he's been rejected among his own people, what's going to happen as he goes to another people? Well, in verse 22, we read, behold. That's always Matthew's way of saying, pay attention, this is important. Behold. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. The very first person Jesus encounters is a Canaanite woman. Now, in The parallel passage in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verse 26, we are told a little bit more specific term about her ethnicity. She is a Syrophoenician woman. Uh, But the word Canaanite is sort of broad enough to stretch over all the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, and that's the way it's being used in this context. But why then does Matthew not tell us that she's a Syrophoenician? Well, particularly because Canaanite is one of the most loaded terms you could use in the context of the Bible. If you have read your Old Testament, the Bible to the Jews at this time, if you've read the Bible, you know that the Canaanites are the people that God's people are supposed to be driving out of the land. The Canaanites are not supposed to remain in this land. They were to have been driven out of the land, but of course the people of Israel failed to do that in the Old Testament. These, however, were the exemplary people of wickedness. Do not do as the Canaanites do, is the common teaching of the Old Testament law. And now here we find Jesus. The first person He meets is a Canaanite woman, an enemy of Israel. And yet, and yet, notice what she says to Him, have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. She's asking for His mercy. And she calls him first Lord. Now, Lord, you never know quite exactly what that means in the New Testament. It has a really broad range. On some cases, it simply means sir or mister, all the way to the other range where it's the word that is used to describe the Lord, God. We're not sure exactly how she is using it here, but what is unmistakable is her next term to describe Jesus, son of David. Now, don't read over that. These aren't just words that she's throwing at Jesus, seeing what might stick. This was a very specific claim that this woman was making, that this Jesus standing in front of her was the heir to the throne of David. Now, if you've been with us as we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew or you are familiar with it from your own study, understand that Matthew's major point in this entire Gospel is to demonstrate that Jesus indeed is the Son of David. How do we know this? It's the very first thing He tells us in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, we read the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, and the Son of Abraham. The fact that Jesus is the Son of David means that He is the rightful heir to the throne of David, that He is the one whom God has appointed as the messianic leader who will save and deliver God's people according to the promises and the prophecies that God gave to His people in the Old Testament. But when we read the Gospel of Matthew, very few people pick up on this point. Matthew wants us to know it right away, but very few other people pick it up. It's always the outcasts who do. While Jesus is in... uh, the land of Galilee in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, it was a blind man who cried out, Son of David. Later in Matthew chapter 20, another set of blind men will cry out, Son of David. Later, the crowds of Israel will, will cry out, will ask, could this be the Son of David? And later then on the, 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 his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they're going to confess, Hosanna, Son of David. But yet a week later, not understanding what they have confessed, They're also going to demand Jesus' crucifixion. They they don't get it. The crowds don't understand that Jesus is the son of David. But Matthew wants us to know this fact, and it's so telling that a Canaanite woman sees this clearly. The first person that Jesus meets, if we've been wondering about his um, reception among the Gentiles, the first person he meets hails him as the son of David. But here's the question. What good does that do a Canaanite? Or let me put this another way. Whatever blessings the son of David might bring to the world, is a Canaanite woman eligible to benefit from them? Does she qualify to benefit from the messianic reign of the son of David? You see, if we know the Old Testament, we know exactly what kind of a man David was. He was a warrior king. In fact, God explained the whole reason that not David, but David's son Solomon had to build the temple was because David had shed far too much blood in his life to qualify to build the temple. Whose blood was he shedding? The blood of Canaanites. He was driving out fighting wars against the Canaanites. So what is this woman hoping to gain when she calls upon Jesus as the son of David? Well, let's see how Jesus responds to her in verse 23. Major question of eligibility. Major question of eligibility here. In verse 23, we read, but he did not answer her a word. Now, I think this is so important because believers very often in this life must interact with the Lord in a way where he seems silent for a time. Here we see a vivid example of this. There's a Canaanite woman crying out to Jesus for mercy, and he does not answer her a word. Do you ever feel like this with Jesus? Well, understand you're in good company. However, when this is happening, that's when the question starts to surface. Is he there? Does he care? And that's when we have to look at what happens next. Jesus isn't saying the word, but apparently this shouting and crying out and begging of Jesus is happening for so long that his disciples are prompted to come and beg Jesus saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. Get rid of this woman, Jesus. Now, while Jesus does not answer the woman, notice how Jesus responds to his own disciples who ask him to get rid of her. Not only does Jesus not respond to them, he totally blows them off. Jesus is still interacting with the woman. Jesus is no longer interacting with his own disciples who say, get rid of this woman. When Jesus seems silent, understand from this passage, we see it is not because He is casting off, not in this life, not to those who are looking to Him in faith. The next thing that Jesus does is not to respond to His disciples. He blows them off entirely. Verse 24, we read, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this is hard. We want Jesus to just sort of take up her case and say, let's go, let's do it, let's heal your daughter." He doesn't. He doesn't. But notice what he also doesn't do. He also doesn't refuse her altogether. This is a perfect place for Jesus to say, "Mm, I've checked the list of, of eligibility requirements, and you do not qualify. There's a narrow parameter for the people that I will accept into my kingdom. I was sent only to the lost house of Israel, and therefore you do not qualify. Go away. He says the first part, I was sent only to the sheep of the lost house of Israel, but he doesn't say the second part. He does not refuse her request entirely. What Jesus is doing here is picking up on her acknowledgement of him as the son of David. Remember, what did David do? He was a shepherd his entire life long. Early on, he was a shepherd of sheep, literal animal sheep out in a field. But later, as the Scriptures made clear, God took him from shepherding sheep to shepherding the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is clear in Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72, where the psalmist declares that the Lord chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes, little lambs. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. If you look to the rest of the context of Psalm 78, it's all about the wandering, the lost, the sinful people of the house of Israel. And David's job was to call those sheep from their wandering pastures to bring them back to be shepherded under one shepherd, David. And Jesus is saying, I am that shepherd. I am the son of David. I am the one who will shepherd the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he is bringing to the forefront a question. What about you? Do you qualify? Are you eligible for the blessings of the Messianic kingdom? He's essentially taking her confession and asking her to think further about it. What does this have to do with you? Now, whenever our Lord in the Scriptures does not directly respond to the situation, and that's what's happening here, she has asked Him to help her with her daughter. He doesn't respond to that question. He states a theological concept. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Whenever the Lord does not directly respond to the situation, to the request, the inquiry, the question, whatever, whatever is happening here, it's so important to pay attention. Because that means that whatever we see is most important, Jesus is seeing something else, and we need to look from what we see to what Jesus is pointing our attention to instead. For example, if you look in the Old Testament, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve had sinned, the Lord asked a question that didn't seem to fit with the passage. Where are you? Now we read that Adam was hiding, but we also know that this God who created them has no curiosity, has no lack of knowledge about the geographic location of the two people that he has put in this garden. Location wasn't the issue. God was raising a question to cause them to think about their new spiritual status, their relationship to Him that had been broken because of their sin. In the previous passages, in Matthew chapter 15, then when we come to the New Testament, remember when Jesus asked in verse 16, He said, Are you also still without understanding? And then verse 17, Do you not see? And then He asked these questions. He's asking the disciples, are you really so having such a lack of comprehension like the crowds do? Is your spiritual status missing what I have come to teach you? He wants them to think. He's probing their spiritual condition. Well, here Jesus is talking to this woman, and again, he, he's not responding to her inquiry. He was responding to something else, and we need to listen to him. What he is doing is confronting this woman with a question of her eligibility. Jesus is the Son of David. He claimed that by his response here. Yes, I am the Son of David, but I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. How then will that translate into mercy for you? Well, Jesus' response presses this woman forward in faith to ask again. And this brings us to the second question, children and divisions, in verses 25 to 26. We read in 25, but she came and knelt before him. Now, this word for knelt down can mean to worship in some places. Here, one commentator says it, it probably really means submission or pleading. What's happening here? is that this woman understands that she cannot make a legal claim. She can't point to the terms and conditions and say, see right there? I do qualify. See? I'm in. I'm eligible. Accept me. Show mercy to me. She cannot appeal to a legal claim. She can only ask Jesus again for His mercy. Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Now again, she's asking for mercy using different words. Lord, help me. It's a cry of desperation. Again, she doesn't qualify. She's not eligible. But what's remarkable about what is happening here and what stands in such stark contrast to the Pharisees and scribes that we saw in the previous passages is this woman understands that she cannot perform some ritual to appease a power to heal her daughter. She is rather approaching and appealing to a person. You know, as a, as a father with children. When I'm shepherding my children, disciplining my children, I understand that when they're not listening to me, when their eyes are all over the place, they're not hearing me. They're wanting something. Maybe they're making a defense for something, asking for something, whatever is the case. But when they're not looking into my eyes, I know that they're just wanting whatever they're wanting at the moment. They're not actually relating to their father this woman is relating directly to jesus she's not just trying to appease some power to get what she wants no ritual no rain no ceremony no salvation this is a woman who is approaching a person looking him in the eyes and pleading for his mercy and then of course in verse 26 jesus says and this is why people see this as such a hard passage This is why people accuse Jesus of racism here. It's a cryptic response. In verse 26, we read that Jesus answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's hard. What does Jesus mean here? Well, once again, we should notice Jesus is not outright denying her request. He could. He could say, I'm sorry, you don't qualify. I cannot do this. Go away now. But yet what he says we have to wonder all the more about. Why does he respond this way? Why does he say it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? Well, understand the Gentiles were understood in the same categories as dogs. Dogs were considered unclean. They were separated from the children. They were unclean scavengers who were not permitted in the house. But it's so interesting that Jesus says here something that doesn't quite come out. It's hard to bring this out. The word that Jesus uses here is is a form of the word dog that's a, a diminutive. It means not just dogs, but little dogs. It's a term of affection. If you look this up in the lexicons, you understand that there's a strong distinction here between lap dogs, dogs that are pets, versus the unclean scavengers that roam the streets that were not allowed into the house. And Jesus is saying this is a lap dog. This is a little dog. This is a dog that is allowed inside the house. Now, there's still a division here. The pets are not the children. The children are allowed at our table at our house. Our dog, though she's tall enough and can kind of lift her snout over the side of the table sometimes, no, no, Grace, go over there. You're not allowed to eat from the table. Now, she's smart enough to park herself under the younger children. She knows where those scraps are going to come from that we're going to read later, but she's not allowed to eat directly from the table. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's what Jesus is saying to this woman. There is a distinction. Technically, you don't qualify. You're not part of the house of Israel. The son of David came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and you are outside of that. But what Jesus is doing here is he's not casting her out entirely. Get out of here, you filthy dog. He's opening a door that in the next section, the woman is going to walk through, recognizing exactly what Jesus has said to her. Jesus is ignoring the reality of the division, but he's also inviting her to reflect on two things. First of all, her status as an outsider, yet a lap dog, a little dog, while she is yet not one of the children but also His capacity as the Son of David to overcome that division. Someone argue that Jesus is testing her faith. I'm, I'm not sure that's quite right. Some argue against that idea. I think it's much better to understand that what Jesus is doing is teaching her about the validity of her faith. It's not a question of whether she can come. It's a question of on what basis may she come. He's not being harsh He is leading her to understand the confident grounds on which she may stand to approach him. Now, once again, very important, Jesus doesn't say no. But again, as a parent, very often I do have to say no to my children. Sometimes... It's just absolutely, categorically, no. That's out of bounds today. That'll be out of bounds tomorrow. That'll be out of bounds forever. Absolutely not. But sometimes I say no to my children, not as a question of whether they may have something, but as a question of how they may go about getting it. Maybe I'm trying to get them to ask it in the right way. Can you ask me from that respectfully? Look me in the eyes? Can you say Please? Maybe I'm trying to teach them, this is actually something that you are now old enough to do for yourself. In the past, mommy and daddy got this for you. Now you are old enough to do this for yourself. It's not a matter of whether, but how they may lay hold of this. And here, Jesus, again, it's not a question of whether he will show mercy to this woman. It's a question of how. How is she qualified? What makes her eligible? And she must think this through if she is to relate rightly as a Canaanite to the son of David. But as we come to this third section, this is where, again, Jesus has opened a door that the woman is going to walk through. Now the woman will embrace the hope that Jesus has held out to her. And here we see the third section, crumbs for little dogs, crumbs for lap dogs, you might see. In verse 27, again, Jesus, uh, excuse me, the Canaanite woman embraces what Jesus has said. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, what this woman is saying is, if the Messiah has indeed come to spread a banquet for his people, then even Gentiles will eat the scraps. Now, I want to make one small observation here that, Lord willing, we will continue again next week. Remember that earlier in the previous chapter, Matthew 14, Jesus fed the 5,000. Where did he feed the 5,000? In Galilee, among the people of Israel. In the next passage, Jesus is going to miraculously feed a crowd of people again. Where is he doing this? In Gentile territory. He's going to feed 4,000. This woman is talking about the Gentiles eating from the scraps, eating from the crumbs that fall from the messianic table of God's banquet for His people. Jesus the Messiah fed His people earlier, and the very next thing we are going to see are the crumbs coming to fill seven baskets as Jesus feeds 4,000 Gentiles. Jesus did come to feed the Gentiles. We're going to see more of that next week. But in verse 28, as Jesus responds, we read that he answers her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Before we get to the feeding, Jesus is going to deal with the immediate presenting problem, the sick daughter of this woman. Gentiles, Jesus insists, will enter the messianic kingdom, and they will do so through faith. How does Jesus handle the qualifications? Well, the qualification is going to change. No longer will it be on the basis of ethnic descent. Can you trace your biological ancestry to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? From now on, this will be decided on the basis of faith. Now, what's so interesting about this passage is that actually, if you know your Old Testaments, you know this isn't new. This isn't a new thing. That entry into the covenant community, entry into the kingdom of the Son of David, is decided on the basis of faith. Do you remember what happened when the people of Israel began to enter into the promised land, the land of Canaan? Began that great conquest of driving out the Canaanites from the land. Do you remember what the first person, the good spies, not the faithless spies who said, oh no, we can't enter into there, but the other spies in Joshua chapter 2, do you know the first person they met? It was a woman. It was a Canaanite woman. She was a prostitute. She very, had very low status in her society. I mean, this was, societally speaking, the worst of the worst, a Canaanite and a Canaanite prostitute. And yet, this was the first person the Israelites met. And like this Canaanite woman in our passage, that woman also had faith, faith in the God of Israel. She had no promises. The only promises were that the Canaanites would be driven from the land, she had only a curse hanging over her head, but what did she do? She appealed to a personal God in whom she had faith, confessing in Joshua 2 verse 11, the Lord, your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. One other interesting parable is that woman was also concerned about her family, just as this Canaanite woman is concerned about her family, her daughter. In Joshua chapter 2, Rahab said, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save me alive, or alive, my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them. Rahab was saved by faith. And what's remarkable of that is she wasn't simply saved and maybe simply begrudgingly, well, I guess you can come along, just stay to the back. She was brought directly into the household of faith. And what we are told even in the Gospel of Matthew is that Rahab became a mother to a son who would eventually have another son who would have another son whose name would be David. The same David whose son is Jesus. That first Canaanite woman whom they met, that first Canaanite woman who had faith, Matthew chapter 1 verse 5 reminds me, is in the direct genealogy leading down to Jesus. Gentiles have always been included into the kingdom when they come by faith. Not on the basis of law, not on the basis of of demands before the law legalistically. That's what the Jews were missing and getting wrong. This woman recognized that just as had happened so many years ago, God's people, the Messiah of God's people, were coming into Gentile territory on a conquest. But this time the conquest would be executed not by force, but by faith. The application then of this passage then is this, come to Christ to the better promises of His new covenant come to Christ through the better promises of His new covenant. What Jesus is forcing and confronting this woman to think about is that there is a great threat against those who are excluded from the kingdom, far off from the covenant promises, as Paul talks about for Gentiles, like you and like me in Ephesians chapter 2. You know, our culture has such a low view of God that For the most part, our culture just sets God entirely aside, wanting nothing to do with Him. But then if you think about other people who do acknowledge some kind of a God, very often the way our culture talks about God, those who are still talking about Him, is that they deny any sense in which He may judge us, deny any sense in which the son of David's kingdom might actually pose a threat to us, like the Davidic kingdom did in the Old Testament. Instead, we presume to believe that we can judge Him. C.S. Lewis wrote about this in his great essay, God in the Dock. He wrote, the ancient man approached God, or even the gods, as the accused person approaches his judge. For the modern man, Lewis wrote, the roles are quite reversed. He, the modern man, is the judge. God is in the dock, that is, as a defendant. He is… the man is quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense… For being the god who permits war poverty and disease well he's ready to listen to it the trial may even end in god's acquittal but the important thing is that man is on the bench and god is the defendant in the dock well do you understand this is not the way it works do you understand that the son of david will judge the nations that he has come to establish his kingdom and that all those outside of his kingdom will be cast off into eternal darkness Do you recognize the standard for entry into his kingdom is infinitely high as heaven righteousness? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus teaches us. Well, if Jesus is the son of David, what could possibly be the basis of our hope? Well, this Canaanite woman models the hope that we have. It is not that we are appeasing a power. We are appealing to a person. Coming for mercy to the son of David just as she did on this day. Because what the scriptures even of the Old Testament tell us is that one day the Lord will reign over the nations. Jesus came to reign over the nations one way or another. For those enemies who rebel against his rule, he will conquer them. But at the same time, Jesus came to mediate a covenant, a covenant enacted on better, clearer promises for all the nations of the earth, for all the covenant people, a covenant that was foretold and prophesied in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 49, verse 6, the Lord declared to His servant, the servant who is Jesus Christ, said, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the people of Israel. Yes, Jesus came to shepherd the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But that's too light of a thing to do that and that alone. The Lord goes on saying, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In Isaiah 49, verse 6, this was always prophesied. This is always foretold, even all the way back to the beginnings. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. We saw this in the Old Testament through the Canaanite woman Rahab, the descendant or the ancestor of Jesus. And we see it once again as Rahab's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson great Jesus Christ interacts with yet another Canaanite to bring her into the kingdom. But today, you know, those two didn't have the clarity of promises that we have. Today we have the Scriptures that declare Christ tore down the division between Jew and Gentile. It was a real division, and yet Christ came to tear it down to make one person in place of the two nations, one man in place of the two nations, so that Jesus Christ came to offer mercy even to the most miserable of sinners, even to those who do not qualify on the basis of biological ethnic descent. This morning here is the only question that matters. Are you desperate for mercy? are you in great need of help are you far off is your response even to this message i don't see how i qualify well you were told in this passage the son of david came into this world on a conquest he came to liberate captives to free sinners from demonic oppression and captivity to sin do you know this great savior do you know this king who came as a warring warrior kingdom to fight the battle that you could not fight for yourself, laying low his enemies, putting under his feet forever sin, death, and the devil. This Jesus died for you and for your sins and is risen from the dead and now is seated as king at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. This Jesus will come again. But for all those who are looking to him in faith, come to him in faith this morning if you do not know him. That day will be a day of joy, and deliverance as the son of David will come for the sake of his people, those who look to him in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would give us Jesus Christ by faith, that we would know him, that we would love him, that we would trust him, that we would come to him appealing for mercy like this woman did here in this story. Teach us to have this kind of faith which presses through the obstacles of eligibility and qualifications, knowing in fact that we are disqualified by our sin and guilt, to look to the Savior whose righteousness abounds much more than the weight of our sin. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.